The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. I am Emily Swallow, also known as the Armorer on The Mandalorian. And I'm just giving a little shout out to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast because this is the way. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 106. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a dead. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hi everyone, I'm Thomas Enherho, a.k.a. The Ronin, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away, including the deeper themes and meanings. Today we're discussing the second chapter in the Book of Boba Fett, The Tribes of Tatooine. And joining me on the panel today are the Bendu herself, Angela Cialana. Hello everyone. <laughs> Hi, nice to have you. And old Ben, Mike Creevy. All I could think of was Uta Guta, but I was like, that means like going somewhere, doesn't it? So anyway, right. hey, hey, everybody. Soul. Yeah, that's probably what it is. <laughs> we're not going anywhere. We're going to no, be here for here. a little while talking about the uh, the tribes of Tatooine. So yeah. um, I don't, just to start off with, I've been hearing from a lot of people that they really enjoyed this episode a lot more than the first episode. So uh, let me just get your takes both on this episode versus the first one. Yes, everything is better after this <laughs> this episode. Um, I would say my first impression towards the end was that I wanted to just break down sobbing, um, but it was just too mesmerizing for me to like stop and express emotion. <laughs> um I was just, you know, I mean, obviously we're we're going to talk all about it, um, but I was just so happy for anyone who has any kind of indigenous ancestral claim, um, and especially Tamara Morrison after this episode, for him to have been reborn as Boba Fett and then to uh, pay tribute to the original indigenous people of star wars i was just like i was very very moved and it was really a piece of art so i'm looking forward to diving in yeah i i um no i didn't have a problem of course with the um with the first episode i definitely like this one more um my guess was i mean if you kind of see episodes one and two as kind of this continuous story the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, as much as I was like bummed, as we said last week, you know, Angela and I were talking about this, you know, to kind of like, no, I want more, you know, at the end <laughs> of that, I, you know, if you kind of imagine, at least in my mind, if you imagine episodes one and two together and try to split them precisely in the middle, I, I don't really think there was as good of a place to cut. So like all things considered, I thought, you know, if you, if you look at where they stopped at the end of episode one, this one then being a little bit longer, um, it, it just seemed to be looking back on it retrospectively a little better of a dividing point between the two of them, you know? And so, uh, so I definitely, I think for those who wanted more, well, you got more this week, quite a bit more <laughs> and, uh, some really awesome stuff. A lot of great throwbacks. We'll talk about, um, 
some uh, classic, even though even even for those of us who haven't seen it or seen it in a long time, some of these you know sort of um, classic film you know kind of influences for certain elements of this uh, were were really awesome. So yeah, I'm excited to unpack it. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I, I think for me too, it was uh, I really liked this one. I I love the the indigenous influences to it and the this plot that's built there around the Tuscans and what they who they are and why they are struggling with where Tatooine is and some really good uh, development of what Tatooine is, which I was super impressed by. (laughs) I was so, so happy for that to kind of be thrown in. Um, So it's, it's neat to see this one. Uh, I felt like this is the most fleshing out of star Wars lore that we've got, even in, even with the Mandalorian, like I don't Mm -hmm. think the Mandalorian did as much to really, push the boundaries of what we know which is so funny because it's all Tatooine but it's right. it, it pushed the boundaries so started. much of what we know yeah, yeah exactly yeah. that's it it goes back yeah. to the to the to the origin to you know that that little speck of sand in the middle of nowhere right so um I, I will just dive into it and I think um as we go through we'll be talking about all the different aspects of it so I'm just going to go synopsis uh I, I've seen People don't know how to handle this uh, series, which is cool. I love it because that yeah. means that that it's really um, it, it, it's taking off and, and people are trying to wrestle with what how to how to address the issues that are happening with it. But I'm just going to go chronologically in the episode itself. So what we saw on screen, I'm going to kind of walk sure. through that, which is RMO. But I just wanted to let people know that I'm doing that rather than trying to, you know, start in the past and then come up to the present. So. This chapter opens up with uh, in the present where we left off the last chapter with the assassin that they captured needing to be dealt with. And um, I thought that the nods back to Return of the Jedi here were just absolutely fantastic. So they bring him into Jabba's room. They put him down on the block right above the the false pit, the drop pit into the to the Rancor's room. And then they threaten him and he refuses to to talk. And we get the 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 droid informant which is classic star wars right the the droid is going to tell us what's going on in the the way that they do which they don't understand human interaction as well but they're going to explain to us why this guy's not going to talk and then boba's going to make him talk (laughs) so what do you guys think about this scene (laughs) oh i was just like 50 50 oh my gosh are they gonna actually have a rancor (laughs) but then it was like no way like are they just starting out from basically scratch like i i i didn't doubt that fennec was pretty you know savvy in terms of um doing her own kind of uh arm twisting to try to get somebody to talk so (laughs) i i was kind of happy with the way that it turned out to where you know um there's just so much that you can give us in one episode if there had been a rancor i think it would have been like more than I could have handled right. with this whole episode. <laughs> Where did they get the Rancor from? Oh my god! <laughs> Which because because the Rancor is not even like a native species of Tatooine, so it's not like they could have just gone out and gotten one. You know, that was something right. that Jabba had shipped in. And <laughs> well, I don't think we ever got confirmation on what the status of the one was. It Moochie or what? The right. one that that Bib Fortuna came and picked up. But I, I, I mean, that of course was years before Return of the Jedi. So it's like. They did confirm that that was not the same one that we saw in Return of the Jedi. So it's like we only see one in Jedi. But then, like even when she said before, like if you had spoken such insolence, Jabba would have fed you to his menagerie. Like that's plural. 
So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I didn't know what to expect. I think I did expect to see something, but at the end of that scene, I wasn't like upset or anything. I was just like, yeah, you know. I think it was totally better. It was totally better that yeah. there wasn't anything, right? That they yeah. that they really are. They just they they don't have. And I think you know we get more of that because so so this scene, you know, the the assassin says, okay, well, it was the mayor that sent me, and uh, you know, he fr- freaks out because he thinks there is going to be a rancor behind the door. He says the mayor sent me, and so there's obviously only one option. Fett now has to go uh, deal with the mayor of Mostaspa. He's right. Got to go meet him, and and he goes. And he, I love the scenes of him walking through the street because it's like it's very reminiscent of the Mandalorian where yeah. people kind of like watch the Mandalorian walking down the street. But then at the same time, it's a, a complete gag here because as soon as he gets into the building, everybody comments on the fact that they didn't hear his uh, his litter arrive. Right. <laughs> and you know what? Just as a random thing that I happen to notice is like the people that were staring at him as they were walking to the mayor's office or whatever, it was Trandosians, which mm-hmm. are basically huge lizards. And right. then what happens like at the end of the episode, <laughs> I was like, huh, that's interesting. Like we kind of started and ended with lizards in this episode. <laughs> they, they were watching him on his quest, right? Watching him on his walk. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I I think it's it's hilarious because like the first episode we heard that a couple of times where people were like, oh, I didn't hear your litter arrive. And and mm-hmm. this, you know, we in coming up shortly, we're going to find out why. But it's it's humorous to see that. And then uh, the moments of just absolute uh, mundane uh bureaucracy in this I loved series. It. it was like the office you know <laughs> I had perfect. like genre whiplash you know I was like wait what <laughs> yeah well and that's and I think but that's it's perfect because like it, he's running a crime syndicate in a town where that's the norm it's not right. like it's not like it's weird for him to be the crime syndicate lord <laughs> what do you guys think I, I am curious about the like with the humor side of it, because I, I know like a couple people brought this up and, and I, I'm not sure exactly where I stand yet on it. But I think there's a good point because this goes to more Star Wars like in the last few years. But like it's it, I just feel like it really is tricky to get that humor just quite right because the originals had that humor. But it's like I've heard it described as like we it can't be like Marvel, though. Like there's a different, you know, so there mm. were some people that were critical of like I kind of got a kick out of it, but like the major domo. <laughs> And like the uh, the mullet dude at the desk there, you know, when they mm. go in, you know, just like, oh, do you have an appointment and everything? And so that um, but I, I did. I thought I, I heard a good argument, though. And I, I was I'm, I'm just wondering where you guys are on that, at least as far as like, is that is that not quite entirely Star Wars humor? Is that it, it reminds me of like the General Hux kind of banter, you know, at the beginning mm. of Last Jedi, which which didn't really match Force Awakens. You know what I mean? Like when. When Poe's kind of like joking about Hux's mom and stuff, and I just remember yeah. being in the theater laughing, but being like, ah, "This doesn't uh. feel like Star Wars." <laughs> so I, I wonder about that a little bit. I, like I said, I'm not really sure, but just I, I, think, I don't know. I, I think in this case it works, and the reason, yeah, I, I, I was I was it thinking about to that fit too, better is, here. I thought, yeah, well, and because the point they're trying to make here is that you know we don't have gigantic starships. Right. The, the hut space is like you know a hut is a very large, imposing. Right impressive thing and the problem that fett is having right now is that he hasn't made that figure of himself right like nobody cares i don't even know your name you know right that's that's, that's who it's this like guy is and, and the, and the, whole, the, the whole palace yeah. is like empty it's like you get the impression it's like him fennec and two 
like Gamorrean <laughs> guards <laughs> and a droid. Like, where's, there's no Sitting rancor. Around a, a twenty person table eating. You know, right, like Gamorreans are down on the far end. Max Rebo doesn't even come by anymore. You know, like it's no, he's too busy over at um, you know, over at uh, Madame Garces. He's making yeah. good money at the sanctuary. <laughs> So yeah. and, and I th- so I think that's why that that's why this humor works here. Whereas sure, when sure. you try and place it in the middle of the actual war, right? And it's opposing sides of the actual war. Like if it had been two members of the same side in the actual war, that's true. Talking, yeah. bantering with each other, it would have been okay. But like when the it's like none of these people are the main characters, yeah, in, per se, right? It's, yeah. Exactly. And so so that's why yeah, I think it works here. That's a good here. point. Yeah, and that, that's why I felt, I felt like really, I loved this scene because it really yeah, does show <laughs> that he doesn't have a handle on this yet, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, we like, we like Fett, and I think he's got a really big space in our minds, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that uh, Favreau is trying to show with these setups is he's not the name that we have associated with him in Star Wars. Right. Because nobody he's just a bounty hunter. Him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> It's like he almost expected the job hired. It's, it's like he's he's gonna start dropping like I was in Empire Strikes Back. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, okay, yeah. Like, <laughs> which it which it goes to show that just because you've been close to the Skywalker story doesn't mean that you're all that, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. There is there is a rest of the of the galaxy going on. <laughs> So uh, they meet. They meet with the the mayor. They finally manage to get themselves in, and the mayor is an Ithorian, and I, I love the way they handled that, so that the yeah. Ithorian yeah. voice was weird and alien, and then there's just like this regular voice that came through on the translator. <laughs> yeah, it's like your English teacher talking to you or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was that was Robert Rodriguez, I think. Right? They said he was the he was the voice oh, of the okay. mayor, which right, is kind of a cool credit you know <laughs> well yeah and I, and I think that um and and this this whole scene's really interesting because it kind of turns the concept of who's in charge on its head yeah and you know, just really develops the fact that this this guy has had to hold his position amongst a changing you know leadership and right. that he he was there when Jabba the Hutt was the the syndicate or was the the leader mm-hmm. and then he passed through all of the turmoil after that so right. he's got his place. He's fine. Oh, yeah. He doesn't need to worry about this new guy coming in. Well, and like, you know, Empire, now it's New Republic. And it's like none of that even. Yeah. It's like, nope, I, you know. Exactly. Shoot, yeah. shoot the assassin. Like, it's, it's just like. <laughs> he's got his little empire of Mos Espa. That's his yep. thing, you know, and you can't mess with him. Right. And, so, and he knows it. He knows that that's, that that's where he is. And so he's kind of pushing that issue. And I love here the, the part of the scene where he uh, offers a bounty basically like that's that's what he's saying is that oh you brought us this assassin and they shoot him and they're like oh thank thanks for doing the job and then you know go give the guy his money uh, give the guy his reward for this and yeah and boba fett mentions i'm not a bounty hunter which is mm-hmm. a big turn for us as the audience like going oh really he's this is a this is a change <laughs> right he's the bounty hunter. <laughs> like you know yep and then um and the mayor sends him back to the sanctuary, sends him back to Madame Garces. And, and I love the the advice that he gives him, too, mm-hmm. where he says running a family is more complicated than bounty hunting. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting, this concept of like running a family, they're introducing that into this episode, which I think is important as we kind of go further down the line, you know, in our discussion. Um, that that'll come up again. Right. And I think it's really interesting too, to think of it, 
to kind of reframe Java and the way that he ran his um, empire and into that. Because, you know, the only scenes we have of Java is just really being like a, a kind of gross brute slug, right? Mm-hmm. But he did have to garner the levels of respect that he needed and create all of the connections that he needed for this to operate the way that it did. And so we were kind of seeing that he was a competent leader, whether he was, you know, a good guy or not, obviously that's he he wasn't, but he was a competent leader for (laughs) what he was doing. (laughs) And so, um, Fett now has to go back and figure out what's going on. What, what, what was, um, what was he talking about that, that he's not, uh, you know, that he needs to go back and, and see what's going on in Garza's place. And he goes back and, um, there's, you know, this short, short moment of him being invited to come in and his guest, but no more of this, like, take your helmet and fill it up with, uh, with gold coins kind of stuff. Yeah, and, she calls him Mr. Fett. Right. It's not the, yeah, it's not the, the due respect anymore, right? The way yeah. it was. It's like, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, yeah. And then, and then, and then you're like, okay, so what's going on here? And then we find out why the letter's important. <laughs> yeah. Which you get the drums and this whole thing. And she that says, so the, cool. the twins are in charge. And then there, then we see the twins coming in. And yeah, that, that whole scene of them coming down the, the street was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Geek out moment. And they looked great too. Just oh, the graphics and everything. Yeah. And the, and the conversation that they have back and forth is excellent as well. Mm-hmm. I loved how he's using that like rat thing just to like dry his sweat. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was so disgusting. <laughs> I was expecting him to eat it. And then he just like right. starts like patting himself It's a little different, but it's like <laughs> such a hot thing. You're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, and, and they're, you know, they're being carried along on this litter by, you know, ten, tens of people. people. Yeah, it wasn't nearly <laughs> enough. You see him squirming the whole, the whole time. It was great. Um, and and they they come around the corner and they they stop and and you see that it's much more impressive than any mm-hmm. of Boba Fett's entrances. It's it's very intimidating. Uh-huh. It clearly states who's in power uh, right. in the situation, and, and that's the language that these people speak. Is like exactly. all the show of the uh-huh. huts, right? And that's and that's something I, I feel like we're going to have the to, crowd shots. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like and, and I feel like we're going to have to learn mm-hmm. along with Boba Fett what that's going to look like for him, mm-hmm. because he's going to have to do it at some point. But what that's going to look like is by the end of this episode, you get the sense that it's going to be different, but just as impressive. Oh, snap. So. I think I know what's going to happen. OK, <laughs> you got it. Yeah, I, I was thinking that, too. I was like, what's it going to look like when he comes through? So I'm uh, I'm intrigued. At, I'm not going to make any <laughs> predictions yet because I'm I'm willing to be really surprised with this stuff. But sure. I, I keep I keep wondering. And I said this to Angela last week. I was like, I just there's part of me that hopes that he just kind of eventually is like, mm, nah, you know, those Mandalorians I met that are going to take back Mandalore, I'm going to go help them instead. Like there's, there's this part of me that just wants him to be like, no. Nah. So I don't know. I'm, I'm very excited because I have like no idea really where it's going. <laughs> or maybe that's why he ends up going back to meet with, because we're not really sure where this falls in the timeline of, um, of him and meeting with uh, the Mandalorian. Mando. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good one. We assumed because it was, you know, with Fennec, like, and we know it has to be after he meets her, but it's like, I think I assume this whole time, you know, that this is like, and he has his armor, you know, so it has to be yeah. after that. But yeah, I don't know. Yes, it's, it's at least towards the end of the first season of The Mandalorian, but it could be right there. And then he decides, okay, 
Now I'm going to head off and hand, I'm, I'm done with this stuff. I'm going to go yeah, do the Mandalorian stuff because that was cool. <laughs> but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how all that goes, too. And then we get uh, a small cameo here from a character that anyone who's familiar with the comics will know. And this is mm. and I'm going to butcher this name because it's a Wookiee name and, <laughs> and you see it written and it's like, whatever, that's a cool name. And then you can't pronounce it because it's just physically impossible. But it's um, Black Kersantan is his name. K-R-R-S-A-N-T-A-N. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, I imagine there's some kind of growling going on in there. <laughs> I got chills when I saw him. <laughs> yeah like everybody wants that action figure now <laughs> yes. oh my gosh and I, awesome. and, I, and I don't follow any of the, the the comics and stuff i don't know if you guys do or if, if uh you know father or andrew do like i'm sure this will come up at some point but i just in my some of my research i know i guess he's he showed up and i think like the dr afra comics i think mm-hmm. if that's right yeah, or, you know so he so he's like this isn't like a new character like he's this is his live action intro which is cool Right. But, oh my gosh, he was so intimidating. <laughs> well, and I like the establishing shots that they do of him too. Is so that they didn't have to really hire a you know super tall actor, <laughs> right? Character. They just kind of put him in positions where he looks much taller than the people that he's standing around, sure. which is really cool. And he's supposed to be huge by even Wookiee standards. He's supposed to be a very large Wookiee. So a very large Wookiee is a very large creature indeed. Mm. And and so it's interesting to see that. With we'll a very see. large gun. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and not Again, your typical the show <laughs> of power, you know, and like all the appearances. And that, that shoulder pad with the spikes coming off of it and everything. <laughs> it's like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> but... I'm interested to see the fight. I want to. I want to see how Fennec and and Boba Fett put up against this guy, or if they even have to. Maybe maybe he ends up coming over on their team by the end of it. But it's definitely a full force show of power, and the uh, the kind of throwaway here is that the twins are not going to commit violence because it's bad for business, right? They're not going <laughs> to. And I love that good cop, bad cop. They kind of have playing off of each other there too, which is really nice. The, the sister's <laughs> very offended and, and wants something to happen. And the the brother's like, no, no, no. I have more patience than that. <laughs> and so we, we find out that, that Fett is not the only one interested in Jabba's uh, empire. And that I think is kind of the, crux of where we're going to be moving forward with the show in the present but that's the limit of the present that we get at this point except for one thing did you guys catch the really quick uh line that fennec says to fett before we go back into the past Mm. if we want to kill him kill them we're going to have to get permission permission. Mm -hmm. yeah so i'm intrigued about who they have to get permission from that's gonna be right and i wonder like i don't know if I think I just assumed that Tatooine was in Hut space because of like episode one. You know, Tatooine is controlled by the Huts, they're gangsters, um, Jabba on Tatooine, but clearly it's not in Hut space because of the way the mayor specifically mm-hmm. says that the Order of the Night Wind's not permitted to operate outside of Hut space. So now I'm wondering like, clearly there's like a, you know, this power struggle going on, but it's like, are these twins like are they the top of the heap like this i think we all assume there would be some hut stuff in this so it'll be really interesting to see that flesh out a little bit more yeah as as the story developed and and this is i I haven't really jumped in on this because i didn't know if it was what was canon anymore because the way Mm. it was before the the expanded universe uh the legacy stuff uh java was an outsider he wasn't he wasn't part of the hut uh 
thing. He went off and made his own way. Yeah. Oh, okay. And and so he made his own empire separate uh, from the huts, and right. and that's why he was able to kind of act independently of their whole shtick. So now we're we're getting confirmation of that basically that that Jabba was a loner. He went out and and forged his own way on Tatooine. These cousins are interested in the the crime element that he's developed out here because it's profitable, it's you know, mm-hmm. reasonable, and then. Um, as we see later in this episode, there are other factions that are interested in Tatooine and using Tatooine uh, for their purposes. So we'll mm-hmm. we'll push into that a little bit as we go into this next part, and and that's that takes us into this the the flashback. So again, we go into the uh, you know the the back to tank and uh, why is he always in there? People keep calling it flashback to. <laughs> I'm loving that. I, and I, I think that's not. I think it's not that he's always in there. I think that what we're getting is uh, it goes back to him healing up, remembering the, th- the how he ended up in that tank. So I don't mm. think it's that he's like constantly going back and sleeping in the tank, but it's that we're like it's it's a touch point back. So well, I, I don't know. This is no like I just see the back to, and then he goes back to the remembering. Yeah. I just remember that line that he said to Fennec at the beginning of the first episode where he was like, the dreams are back or the nightmares mm-hmm. are back or something. So to me, that almost signaled like we are going to see that, you know, recurring. But also for him, this is a recurring thing, you know. Mm. So I don't know. Who knows with the way that they kind of cut this show together, like it's nonlinear. It doesn't have to be linear, you know. It doesn't have to be that what we see is right after what we have previously seen. Yeah, and I wonder if it's almost like that where, like, you guys, you know, I, well, I know it's not just me, but I'll speak for myself with, you know, um, uh, in, in my prayer life, you know, when, when things finally slow down, you know, like when I go to adoration or something like that, and, and you know, just those moments where it's like, there's there's a lot of the external sort of duties and things like that are are set aside for a few minutes and it's like sometimes like a sledgehammer you know or like mm. like the two by four right in the face of like here's all the things you need to kind of work out or like here's a memory from when you were a kid that you haven't resolved yet or here i'm like <laughs> what are you doing to me right now and so i, I almost wonder if that's like his version of like you know he's getting right. his little bit of like off to the side piece it's the only time you really see him alone you know, I mean, I mean, yeah. the, the current thing and it's like now I'm off to the side. This is like his little sanctuary, his little like holy tie, whatever you want to call it. And it's like he's got a lot to process this guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. Um, and there's I mean, we're going to keep unpacking that, you know, for for weeks because there's so much with just that, like who he is and his relationship with his dad. And, you know, like mm-hmm. who knew there was this much to this character, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> well. I think we all did. We were just waiting for it. <laughs> we right? all did so badly. 40 yeah. years. 40 years. <laughs> We've been interested in him for way too long for there not to be this much about him, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he went from, what, three lines in the first movie to, yeah. to this? Yeah, they're not going to make a short. It's like, no, it actually turns out he's pretty two-dimensional. Yeah. <laughs> no. It was just a bounty hunter. That's right, it. it was just, just like, yeah. <laughs> or like the Lego, like you take the, I have the, the Mandalorian, uh, we got, you know, you know the christmas gifts star wars christmas gifts of course abound and uh, i need a room for them at this point and you take the mandalorian helmet off of like the mando and grogu christmas set and it's literally just a black stump like they don't even bother painting a face <laughs> on the lego piece i'm like 
I don't think Pedro Pascal is going to be happy with that. Right? <laughs> he did have a face. Yeah, it's like literally faceless. No. <laughs> well, and I think, but I think that that goes back to the to the origins of like the you know the Western where yep. you have the cowboy, the the unnamed cowboy, yep, mm-hmm. comes into town, and that's that's our main character. That's the character we follow. And and we get kind of the same sense here, you know, where he's. This is, I think, uh, you know, one of our one of our group had said that this was kind of like a dances with wolves moment, where he's totally you know, <laughs> the the cowboy that's now part of the indigenous tribe and has to learn right. their ways and yeah. and really, uh, but leans into it and learns uh-huh. what what he needs to, to to survive, but also just out of respect for them and the the offer that they've made of of saving his life, uh, even though that wasn't their initial purpose he's serving them in that way. And, and we get a lot of that in star Wars. There's a lot of that life debt kind of mentality. It's a last samurai kind of vibe too. Mm-hmm. You know, a little more yep. recently. Yeah. 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 I thought about that too. Definitely. Right. So, yeah. And so, so we get, uh, we're taken back to this past, uh, where, uh, Fett is establishing his place in the Tuscan Raider tribe. And he's learning how to use a gaffy stick from, the Tuscan warrior. That's the only name we have for her right now. Who's played by Joanna Bennett. Absolutely. One of my favorite She's characters. Cool. Uh, yes, that's another action figure. I need <laughs> amazing character. <laughs> and I have my, my, um, uh, today, my 12 year old was sitting with me watching it and he was just like, I, he's always liked the Tuscan Raiders, like really enjoyed them. And so, you know, when we do RPG, Star Wars RPG stuff, he's a Tuscan Raider. That's normally his thing. And so (laughs) he is just losing his mind watching this series because it is completely up his alley. Uh, But he loves her character. He's just completely enamored with the fight scene and the way that she uses the gaffy stick. And I love how it's like, you know, she teaches him this thing and then disarms him. And and you know, that's going to come back later. Yeah. But then the way that it comes back and and that she's able to then dodge, grab her gaffy stick and then trip him and put him back on the ground. It's like, oh, no, no, you're not not you haven't learned that well yet. <laughs> right. So I, exactly. I love those moments where, you know, the, the training montage does not end with the perfect warrior. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Um. So they are the, the, the Tuscan tribes out digging for these black melons. And then we get the introduction of this hover train that passes through. And this went right back to me. This went back to, you know, the original who the Tuscans were, where, you know, Luke was always worried about them being out there, just kind of taking pot shots at him on his speeder. The the race when when they're doing the pod race and the, the Tuscan Raiders are out there just shooting down into the into the racers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that come up with this where the, the train is driving across this waste and for no apparent reason just begins firing on Mm -hmm. the Tuscans. Right. It immediately takes us back. I mean, especially as people who grew up in the United States, I think, you know, and and being familiar with the Western uh, in particular, just knowing that relationship, right, that the Tuscans were supposed to be the Indians, right, quote unquote, of the Western. And that that put them right back in that, you know, you see a train in a desert, it's a Western, right? And then, Mm -hmm. but then you have these innocent people being fired on and it's like, it, it immediately turns the table on you as a viewer. It's like, oh yeah. Like they're not just the bad guys, like in the Westerns, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I thought that was really just like very intentional 
um, to just throw us off right away. Um, so that it kind of, it re it, it puts us back in this relationship between Boba and these people, because now I think a lot of people after seeing this particular scene, their own relationship with the Tuscans has changed mm -hmm. the way that they see them, the way that they relate to them has changed, especially these days, because a lot of us have gone through grief and loss and all those type of things. So it's a very relevant theme that we're more familiar with now. Right. And I, and I think it's, it's interesting to see Fett's reaction to this because he's very struck and, and it happened with the, with the biker gang initially, you know, in the first episode when the biker gangs like kind of swoops in and, and just murders the people on the farm for their water. He, he seems upset by it but can't really do anything about it at the moment. And so this, this time now he sees this train and again, he's upset by the injustice, which is really, it's not something that you had thought of Boba Fett being, but when you go back through his life history and seeing the Jedi, you know, having killed his father right in front of him. And then some of the other things that we see him go through during the clone wars, series when he's trying to run his own group of bounty hunters as a child basically it it plays into that and you see that there is some sense of justice to this character that it may yeah. be greater than what we were given to believe at first absolutely yeah. he's more than just a bounty hunter right <laughs> there's some depth here <laughs> <laughs> and um and so he goes back and i love the the scenes where he's having to like talk with them and mime the the conversation with him so he's got this kind of uh hodgepodge uh you know sort of sign language going with them and it, it, i learned it, sorry i learned that that is actually called tsl tuscan sign language and that was actually developed by um it was developed for mandalorian season two when they're when he's speaking with the tuscans and there was an actor was a deaf actor who was hired specifically to uh, portray a Tuscan and also to help them develop the Tuscan sign language. So he actually did research on like the Tuscan uh, culture and like Tatooine. And then he incorporated that into, cause he didn't want it to just be ASL. He wanted it to be specific to them. So that's really neat that like, this is still continuing to be used um, and to see you know, I think for, for the deaf community to be able to see mm -hmm. that too is very important. That's very cool. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't aware of that. So that's really neat. My, my daughter who's uh, learning ASL right now and, um, and actually confusing sometimes because I know enough to recognize some signs and she knows enough to like try and have silent conversations with me. And I'm like, I know about half of what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I'll, I'll have to mention that to her because that's really neat. Yeah. She'll love that. Very cool. And I, I think that, you know, it's, it's fun to see that he's picked up the culture, not just the, the trappings of it, but he's really, he's embraced where he is and is developing that connection with these people on such a deep level. Right. And so he, he explains to them, I can stop the train. And, and he finally is like, okay, look, I, I know, I know you're not going to stop the train right now, but I just need a rifle and a stick and I'll be back by morning. <laughs> And he goes off to the bar to find the to find the biker gang, <laughs> which apparently is Tashi Station. Yes, 
it's <laughs> I I was um having a blast like with with uh, YouTube deleted scenes because like um the um which I guess it's, it's Anchorhead I think which Luke references in A uh, New Hope um but I I wasn't familiar with this like I had seen the the deleted scenes of uh, like Biggs where Luke is out there talking to mm-hmm. Biggs but what I, I never I never saw the full sequence somehow. Where like you know it would have been the first intro to Luke's character. He's you know working. He has like a boonie cap on. He sees the space battle going on, and all it is in the the cutscene is like just some flashes up in the blue sky. And he's like looking at it, and he runs to Tashi Station to try to show his friends like, look, there's a space battle going on. And Cammy and Fixer, the two we see in this episode in the bar, like run out and they're kind of like you know nah, it's nothing. And then he ends up talking to Biggs after that. And it was like the more I looked at it, I was like this really. Looking back on it, I don't think this would have fit, you know, like the way we introduce or get introduced to him in the original now is like so much better than this. Thank but, you, Marcia Lucas. <laughs> I just thought like, but I, th- I thought, yeah, I thought like, what a, like, you know, I was telling my wife about this. I was like, this is just a great example of where like anyone can watch this show and have fun with it and absolutely not need to know any of what I just said, <laughs> but, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> but they, but they spent the time. If you go back and watch that that cutscene on YouTube when like you know Luke runs into Tashi Station, like guys, look at you know, come on out. That bar, it's like identical. Every little detail, like the amount of time they spent to recreate that, <laughs> that they didn't have to do, you know. And I really respect that, you know. When you know, it, it's it, it, again, they could have done it so much simpler, so much cheaper, you know. But but I I think that's really getting to the heart of like, you know, Favreau and Filoni and, and these, these folks who really know how to do this right. You know? So that, that was, I thought a really cool sequence. <laughs> well, they, and they love, they love star Wars. And I, I think that's, it, it shows it's, it's like, there's like a reverence, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. not, not yeah. religiously, but I'm just, you know, but there's, there's like that respect and that that's, that's really meaningful. And they, and they know that there's, that there are nerds out there that are going to look up <laughs> the, uh, the deleted scenes online. Absolutely. And, and go, I think I recognize this and, and, yeah. and put two and two together, you know? Right. Many so nerds. It's, <laughs> what nerds? Who knows? No. But can <laughs> I just say, like okay, so Boba, I love the entrance, right? Like oh, yeah. the whole, like, uh, the gang is being a bully and everything. And then fixers like, it's not right. You know? And, and, and then, you know, you see the shadow of Boba Fett on the, the back of the wall. And it's just like, it's so Western. It's mm-hmm. so great. Yep. But then Boba start like, he's got this gun, this rifle, and he starts like stat, like hitting people with it, like a stick. Right. And I don't know if you know, if you realize that, but I realized that after a couple of times watching it, I was like, he's still fighting like a Tuscan with, mm-hmm. a, with a gun, like, to where, you know, before this, like, you know, before he fell into the Sarlacc, we had just known him as a guy who uses a gun, right, mm-hmm. to shoot people, not to, like, yep. try to hit them with it or anything. But he wasn't a hand-to-hand combat kind of guy, you know? Well, and, and, but it's really interesting because this tells you something about his character. The only person he shoots in that group is the one that pulls a blaster pistol on him. Mm-hmm. And that says something about him you know he's only going to meet the amount of force that he's met with and i think we see that later you know as as it comes up later he's not interested in ruling by fear which is sort of going to have to play out somehow but he's not interested in just you know wholesale i'm going to murder you if you don't do what i say he wants to meet the level of force that he's 
dealt and combat it at that level to to win to win the respect but then also to you know that that's it's kind of like a personal code and so i'm i'm really interested i haven't had a chance to yet i want to go back and watch the other scenes that we have of boba fett and whether or not it's the same thing oh i did because it, oh, yeah? it's a very short compilation. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's not much, right? It's, it's and two, the only time fights. that he we actually see him like pull a gun to shoot somebody is Return of the Jedi mm-hmm. when they're on the sail barge. And Han's like, you know, Chewbacca's talking to him. He's like, what? Boba Fett? What? And then he like turns around. Boba Fett's on the other side with the gun to shoot him and like throws him into the Sarlacc. So that's literally the only time. That he is like this close to shooting somebody. Any other okay. time he he put he draws his weapon, but it's just kind of for show or you know to show that he's ready. But yeah, that's it. It's it's a very short compilation if you want to look it up. <laughs> well, there you go. See, so I maybe this is a maybe this is a long standing uh, code of honor that he has that we just haven't learned about yet. So. <laughs> And that's I'm I'm interested to see how far back these these past uh, memories are going to go, because I think we've gotten the Tusken Raiders because it's the most interesting story, Mm -hmm. the most relevant story to what's going on. But I think that there's more there because we've also had some of his childhood that have been played in through what he's, uh, you know, through like the the vision quest at the end of this episode and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see. And did um, you guys did you guys notice, by the way, the uh, this is the second time in a row that there's been some. I think it's when he was drinking from the black melon in the first one, but in this one, like I really think they're deliberately playing around with that. Maybe I don't know, but you know that um, uh, Polynesian spa commercial he did because <laughs> like the whole like, he doesn't say a word. He fights all of them, then he walks over, grabs the drink, swigs it, and he's like, ah, and just like sits down. <laughs> like, it. It's just it's so perfect for some reason, you know, for his character. I don't know why, <laughs> you know, and. And even like, 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 and we could do a whole show just on this, but I, I, I just thought I'd throw this out there too, just in passing as far as like, I, I really want to go back now, Father Andrew, I know you're going to listen to this. I want to go back and watch Attack of the Clones again, um, sort of soon, because as many times as I've seen it, you know, and you have the same actor, but like, uh, he's doing such an amazing job. Like Boba and uh, Django mm-hmm. are not the same character. Mm-hmm. like he's he's a clone it's 20 years later like there's all the reasons to have him play this character that are so obvious like on a on a practical kind of level um but like you know in theory like you could have had someone else play this character uh daniel logan could have played it. like you know you could even have people associated with the originals play him but like i just think it's so neat to kind of actually have this this original actor play this character but somehow have him be so different you know, mm-hmm. and, and just that's that's so cool. I, I want to go back and kind of, you know, I, well, Angela, you would, of course, I forget what you said to father on that episode. It was, it was like four minutes that Django has on screen. <laughs> yeah. It's not a lot of time. Um, but, yeah, I, I just I really want to sort of sing his praises for this because it's I, I don't know how you do that. <laughs> you know, like just just so, you know, you're a clone, you're similar. All those cues are there, but like you're not the same person, though, you know. Right. That's so cool. You take those life experiences, and I think that's something that that Tim Morrison's so good at is is just imbuing this character with that background that you don't doubt the the decisions that he makes. Uh, you really do. You buy that this is what he would do. He would, yeah, 
he he would exist with this Tuscan group and he wouldn't uh you know he would take it as this was his place and then you go and you think okay man yeah this is the guy who you know during the clone wars he was a bounty hunter because that's where he was and then he mm-hmm. ended up being you know tossed around by that group in a in a pretty harsh way and he dealt with that and then he ended up becoming right. a, a fantastic bounty hunter in his own right uh and now he's made this decision to to change because he ended up in the starlight pit <laughs> and and that's just one of those life reflection moments right <laughs> yeah right so yep. yeah i i think i think it's really great and i i, I feel like i it's more than i was expecting which is yeah Agreed. a big deal because I didn't know what to expect, but I was expecting something interesting, and this is taking it in a completely different direction, and is really interesting. And so, so we see, you know, the development here is that he he grabs these bikes and takes them back to the Tuscan Raiders because his plan is that he's going to not just take care of the train for them, but teach them how to take care of the train. Mm-hmm. And, and despite the humor moment where they start like trying to tear the <laughs> the bikes apart on him uh you know, he's like no wait 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 <laughs> no uh, those are for you they're they're for you to use and, he, and and then the the, the communication i thought was hilarious because he's like i'm giving them to you as a gift and he turns around and goes those are mine those, those are mine, mine. <laughs> <Stop."> <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh yeah so i and then the that whole scene where he's he's talking to them he's telling them you know i'm going to teach you how to use these things so that you can uh, fight the train and we get so much lore about the Tuscan Raiders in these couple of scenes where we learn uh-huh. that you know they're not savages they're post-apocalyptic holdouts basically that are just trying to make do in this world that they've been handed and that's it's just one line I love it when they do this kind of stuff where there's like the one line where they say after the seas dried up mm-hmm. yes like what <laughs> yeah <laughs> Wasn't that in, so, in um, like expanded universe? I don't know I if think it, was it was canon. Okay, I, I think it was, but I, I heard. But I don't remember. Somewhere. And so I was like trying to dig back through and figure yeah. out, because it sounds familiar, but it's one of those things that maybe it's just like you know lore mentioned somewhere by someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how long it's ha- it has to have been like that is intense because you know the outworlders came in and started farming moisture from the air. So it, it's not like there was there were seas there when people came from space they just came from space to this dry world that had these natives on it that had been living this way for generations supposedly before they even got there so i don't know i think we'll see more of that i'm i'm intrigued especially how his vision quest kind of turns out at the end it seems like that's going to be a theme that comes up a little more with these guys Mm -hmm. uh and then he decides he's going to train them and he says it's it's you know, you go forward and you go and then you pull back to stop. It's just like riding a Bantha, <laughs> <laughs> which apparently it's not. <laughs> uh, so what do you guys think about this, this training sequence that they go through? It was totally fun. It was mm-hmm. like Tuscan driver's ed and right. <laughs> uh, it reminded me of, you know, my own teenage years. No, but, um, <laughs> but I, I really liked how we got to kind of, it was a charming moment. It was a moment mm-hmm. for them to be that for us, you know, to, mm-hmm. to again, like for our relationship with the Tuscans to develop in a, in a new way. And so I, I, you know, it was fun. It was, it was one of those lighthearted moments. And I guess that is, it was Star Wars humor, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I, 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 I 
this isn't me originally here speaking this, but the um, I heard some fun discussions uh, about like just the the kind of well, you could say real world, I guess, reality of like these these folks like the fastest thing they ride is a bantha, mm-hmm. you know. So like <laughs> the so like the concept of like you know um, jumping from this to that and like inertia and stuff like that, like it would be really 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 challenging and um mad props to luke for doing it on his first try in return of the jedi so mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of makes that cooler somehow too <laughs> well and, and i think the, the whole idea of trying to catch up with this this speed train this hover train uh is it's kind of crazy it's uh it's really out there and but Boba Fett's like he's convinced these people can do it. He you trusts, know, like, yeah, yeah. He trusts that they're that they're gonna be able to step up to it. And um, I I I think it's it's funny like the, the trying to train them to jump from one to the other. That was that was my favorite part of it. And then when the one guy runs over the other one after he falls off, yes, <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> well. And this whole sequence coming up here too, like, and and I don't want to get ahead of it, but but um. I thought even the concept art, it was interesting because mm-hmm. you know, truth be told, like I so I haven't seen Lawrence of Arabia in a long time. But this is this is absolutely and many people have pointed this out. This is like totally like a lift mm-hmm. from a sequence in that in that film. And if you look carefully in the concept art at the end, it's interesting because like when they show that sequence, like they're very clearly not garbed like Tuscans. They have them made up to look like the Raiders right. in Lawrence of Arabia, I, th- I think to kind of, you know, specifically get that across, uh, which of course, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, which had Alec Guinness as Prince Faisal in it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> there's another, you know, Star it's Wars, all, uh, all yeah, together. even a Star Wars Tatooine <laughs> reference and connection. So, but yeah, that was, that was a fun, like the old West thing, but also that, you know, that, that, um, also the sort of, um, mystique and kind of, um, you know, um, um, yeah, I guess mystique's a good word of, of of that kind of Middle Eastern kind of feel to it too, which which is mm-hmm. part of the influence as well, which was cool. And then we get the awesome uh, train heist sequence where they come up along the train and they jump in and or jump on top <laughs> and are trying to grapple. Uh, that was really exciting. I think my favorite moment again is coming back to that Tuscan warrior when she just like oh my gosh field, drives the thing right into <laughs> right into <laughs> the train and jumps off on top of the train. Yeah. That's what they should have done at the beginning. Just, yeah. <laughs> just let her do it. Oh. Yeah. Was it was that uh, a pod racer engine up there? It looked like it. Or something it like, like that. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's and it's it's interesting the way it works out because that droid keeps going back and like trying yeah. to over overclock the engine, right? He was my favorite character in the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he falls out at the end and gets up on the little four spidery legs, it's like, oh come on. It's creepy. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so the, the the train heist goes about as well as you would expect it to about about, you know, kind of a 50 50 win loss scenario. There. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. They, man, they manage it. <laughs> they get it down. And then um, we're introduced finally to who the characters are. And we see that this is the Pike Syndicate. So this mm. is these are the guys that uh, which, I, is this the first time we've seen live, live action? action? I believe. Well, um, without their masks on because they're in solo. And that's what, like, oh, I, it was driving okay, me yeah, nuts because yeah. I'm like, why does that helmet look so familiar? And I had a mm-hmm. solo vibe, but I was thinking the wrong thing, like, d- during the actual train heist. Because I, I, solo hit me in the head, and I'm like, is it, but they're not Black Sun, or like, I'm trying, or Crimson mm-hmm. Dawn, what are they? And then when they were still and out there, and like, they, they took the masks off, I was like, oh, yeah. And then he said Kessel, and mm-hmm. that's when it finally sank in. 
Yeah. So so we get the yeah. sense that the Pike Syndicate now is involved. So now yeah. we've expanded the definition of what the tribes of Tatooine means. Right. Not just the Tuscan tribes, but also all of the crime tribes. And uh, I, I love how he says, you know, where the guy asks, are you going to kill me now? And he says, well, it depends. Are you carrying spice? <laughs> <laughs> and then the Pike Syndicate guy's like, what spice? <laughs> what is that? What's it like? I don't know. <laughs> so Can you describe yeah. it to me? God, it's kind of like dude. that stuff right there. Okay. That's like something my daughter would say to me, not about spice, but about something like, no, you know exactly what I'm asking you right now. Like, come on. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. On. And and so I, I love how that scene plays out. I love the, the fact that they got that uh, just sitting on this kind of makeshift throne of stuff, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. drinking one of the black melons, you know, <laughs> like it's a very Conan kind of scene. And yes. <laughs> Very fitting for him. Uh, and he offers them a trade. He says, I will look, these aren't savages. These you are crossing their land. They lay an ancestral claim to this land. You need to pay them to cross it. And he lays down terms for them that I'm assuming are reasonable, but I don't even know. I don't even know how good a businessman Fed is at this point. So we'll have to we'll have to see how that plays out. And then offers them their lives as kind of the the reward for them delivering this message and they're nervous because they're going to have to cross the desert and he he tells them you're going to cross the desert just like these people single file you head off that direction you're going to find anchorhead before too long and we'll give you some black melons for the trip (laughs) and you're traveling under the tuscans protection you know um to me i was just i was very moved by this scene because i i just i don't know if i'm like just a real empath or something but i (laughs) I just saw in Tamara Morrison's eyes, like just this, the way that he delivered these lines of, because his response is to the Pikes who say, well, we thought you were uncivilized raiders. And this whole concept of, no, we are a people, like this is a people. And I felt like Tamara Morrison being Morty, he was really speaking also on behalf of like, all indigenous people by like saying these lines. And I think many people also, I was seeing just on Twitter and stuff, like a lot of people who do have that identity, you know, they really felt that. Um, But just the, like delivering those lines, I think with like such strength and like almost pain at the same time, like to understand what that plight would have been like for these people to have gone through like so much through like, you know, hundreds of years, assumingly, you know, for a whole planet to turn from seas into desert and then just to be treated the way that they were. So the um, the protection of the Tuscans, you, you now travel under the protection of the Tuscans. That was really important because to me that was showing that they are civilized people because they're going to protect you as you go forward and you are going to be given just what you need to get where you're going. Right. So yeah, I, I was really impressed by that scene. Yeah. I've, and it was, it was really well executed too. the, just, uh, them coming up to the train and how they were. And, and then, and then when they knock the water, the water cap off the water tank and it, and it's raining on them and they are just, it, it's more wealth than they've ever been able to have. And because you see, yeah. you see the mountain, how long it takes them to rake up just one of those stupid little black melons. Right. <laughs> right. And, you know, that particular 
image of all the water coming out of the train. Um, I have to give a shout out to Father Roderick von Hogan, who, you know, basically started this podcast um, with Don Bettinelli because uh, he has also been analyzing these uh, episodes and he's been drawing a parallel between Boba Fett and Moses and the Mm. story of Moses. So when I saw that image of all that water coming out and I heard what, you know, Father Roderick was talking about is this concept of like Moses and the rock and the uh, hitting the the rock with the staff and, and water flowing out and it being um, a new beginning for the people who were in the desert and uh, that Moses was, you know, the, the leader of the people. And, and then we go from this scene, we go directly into a scene where they're in a tent Mm-hmm. And Boba begins his like kind of spiritual experience. So to me, that was kind of like, oh, yeah, that is Moses because Moses goes into the tent to meet God. And yeah, just a whole kind. So I want to give a shout out to Father Roderick and all that he's doing, too, because he's like he's he's pulling up all those kind of scriptural references, too. Well, and that's like that first the first the title of the first episode is, you know, that like we said last week, that reference to um the the naming of Moses' son Gershom, you know, stranger yes. in a strange land. So yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, and I think I, you know, moving into that next scene, uh, we get this very spiritual experience, which is the the real uh, acceptance of Fett into the tribe, but also an awakening of him to. It almost feels like a greater purpose than just what he's had. You know, where he's been this grifter that's been kind of like bounty hunting and just wandering through the galaxy without a purpose and it feels almost like this is a very clear moment that he's been given a purpose and they offer him this lizard that that was so weird (laughs) yes i'll take him with me and then the lizard jumps up his nose (laughs) and no one saw that coming (laughs) no it was completely stunning it reminded me a little bit of of, um when um like so when i when i was in the army and like you're you know you you learn so much and you study so much and like you really commit to trying to like you understand cultures you're going into and everything and but there's always a a clunky humorous sort of like i I forget who it was a famous historian you know who once said and speaking of of uh, he was specifically speaking of roman history uh, and this guy was like, you know, he he knew Latin perfectly and knew all this, like way more than all of us combined could ever know about Rome. And he he very humbly said at one point something to the effect of Cicero's chambermaid knew more about Rome than he did. You know, this mm-hmm. idea of mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah, you study it, every, but it's it's not the same and it right. can't ever be the same. And so that idea of like. You know, I, I'm reminded I never had a lizard jump on my nose, but like moments of like you, you do everything you can to study and then you're in that culture and just something happens or you just get laughed at and like, you know, because you totally blow it or something, you say something wrong. And it's just it was funny. And I love like him like, yes, I will take this lizard <laughs> like trying so hard to be culturally <laughs> sound. shoots up his nose and he's like, I think I swallowed it. and i'm sitting there like in in my own way i've i've been there kind (laughs) of like definitely more extreme but uh, that's what it felt like i was embarrassed but like no so that was so i was laughing so hard (laughs) yeah and that's and and it and it spawns this um it spawns this moment where he goes on this kind of quest and so this is not this actually isn't a a totally unheard of thing um Mm -hmm. there are cultures that use hallucinogenic frogs uh, yeah for 
kind of these dream questy kind of things. And then uh, uh, recently, one of our other podcasts, uh, Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, talked about mind control parasites. Yes. Like parasites (laughs) that crawl into insects' brains and force them to do things. Like uh, there's an ant, a parasite, that the fungus that takes over an ant's brain and makes it move up to the tallest branch that it can. And then, you know, grows out of its head. And so this is not like, this actually is not terribly off off the beaten path of sci-fi this is kind of real world kind of stuff i know i kept seeing headlines like star wars gets weird i was like was (laughs) it really really that weird though like (laughs) no nope that's that totally (laughs) i can see real world examples of this kind of thing well and this this was this was definitely it was condensed it was like one one night sequence and uh this is you know getting a not quite our our kiwi listeners but more of our australian fans i'm thinking of like the aboriginal walkabout kind of experience Mm -hmm. you know when you're in your teens and stuff you know so and there's a lot of cultures that have something like that some sort of you know coming of age or, or, or rite of passage and sometimes there is some sort of you know, like you said, too, like this, this hallucinogenic component that that's not uncommon, you know, so that was mm-hmm. it was interesting to see this <laughs> play out. And having an animal spirit guide also. Right. I've been learning, uh, taking some time to learn about the Modi culture just because Tamara Morrison has said that he contributes his ideas, you know, um, in this character. And um, I learned that lizards are actually sacred for the Maori people um, mm. and that they're used in. Um, burial situations and as guardians and they're very much a part of like this whole underworld concept for the for the Maori people so um, I I wonder if that was maybe one of his contributions like let's make it a lizard that'd be really cool yeah. And then and then somebody said, and let's make it jump up his nose. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, OK. <laughs> but it's it's great. It's a great scene where it, it, it and I think, again, this goes back to that humor, the Star Wars humor. That's really good, where it's like it's subtle and it's uh, about not being comfortable in the, the position that you're in right. and kind of you know laughing about it. But then at the same time, really embracing what's going on. And, and that's what's great about the scene is that it has all of the seriousness that it needs even with those little slapstick uh, bits to it. And we see the hallucination that he goes through, the, the, the quest that he goes through is about the history of Tatooine. It's about his history. And the two get tied together in a very deep and moving way. And he ends up at this tree, which obviously there's no trees on Tatooine because there's no water. So there's nothing there. And, and he grabs a stick. And so I was going to the Noah story for me, right. Was this, the the idea of the dove going out and finding the, the, the olive branch and bringing it back. That's kind of what this represents to that culture. And he goes out and finds a gaffy stick or what will become a gaffy stick eventually. And in their culture, instead of it being a piece uh, some an offering of peace that comes back that the world's going to be right it's a a tool that allows them to move through that world and that's what he comes back with is that tool and i think for boba it's also i mean it's kind of a sign of like his interior peace in a way because mm-hmm. i think as he's wrestling with that tree he's very much wrestling with his own trauma and his own you know inner turmoil and that's part of that whole you know ritual in the real world um when people go on these kind of uh quests um the idea of a tree in particular i thought was interesting because trees tend to represent families 
-hmm. And Boba himself is very much a lonely character in Star Wars. Um, We've talked about, you know, the last episode about him being the clone and everyone, you know, there's so many people that look like him and sound like him, but they're not him. And so this concept of like, who is he, who is his family We've seen in the Clone Wars that he tried to have a family of bounty hunters and it didn't work. It wasn't his family. And I think now as we see him with the Tuscans and this whole ritual that is brought about, it's like he's becoming a member of their family. Um, so going back to that idea at the very beginning of the episode where the mayor's like, hey, running a family is more complicated than being a bounty hunter. It is. And I think he has actually come to learn that he'll probably still continue to go on that learning process right but but being a part of a family is something new to boba fett you know like it really is new to him um and so i felt that this whole tree thing um was a part of that that family concept Mm. i i um yeah and it it really ties into the growth that he's going through as a character so i'm I'm excited to see what the rest of this uh because we haven't met those two timelines up yet he's back in the uh the the hut space or the hut the hut syndicate kind of thing so i'm interested to see how how those two are going to mesh in the end and and then you know like you said the trauma that he has to deal with it's not just the trauma of being in the sarlacc pit it's that trauma of being a child without an actual parent but you know who his father is him essentially which is really bizarre and something he you see him wrestle with as as a child in these visions and right i think that's what he, his expectation was it's like oh i'm i'm supposed to be my father mm-hmm. because he was kind of he was kind of um that was the only expectation that was kind of placed before him was to just <clears throat> be his father's son and mm-hmm. To see his father, what happened to his father, I think, was traumatic for him because it was like, well, how am I supposed to be my father? You know, am I going to end up like this too? And again, he was alone. And then we get, he comes back with the gaffy stick. Quick, quick question. Stick. Not not okay. super important, but I was, I was curious why, like, I, I have to go back and double check, but I thought the concept art um, I remember when I saw the tree sequence, the red eyes were kind of weird and I, I, mm-hmm. I kind of just, mm-hmm. but it was all weird and trippy and I kind of forgot about it. And then the concept art, there's clearly depicted Jawas all around the tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit last week, Angela and I, with the whole, like the red eyed Jawas from Mandalorian season one, not on Tatooine, which then mm-hmm. Lando jokingly references in that star Wars Lego holiday special, like, Hey, off world Jawas, you know, like that. <laughs> And so then we had these very clearly like extra yellow eye Jawas on Tatooine in episode one from the Boba Fett series. So I'm I'm a little confused that why the red eyes, maybe it doesn't matter, but I, I, I don't know. It was just it added to the trippiness, I guess. But I don't know if that is significant or not. <laughs> yeah, know? it could be part of the dream sequence. It, yeah. You know, just um, more. It, it was more of a conceptual like. How right. he feels versus mm-hmm. like, you know, what's real and what's not real. So yeah, I, 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 didn't, I didn't see any that... bodies. I just saw the eyes and they actually reminded right. me more of whatever the things we never saw were. And remember episode one of Mando season two. Right. When he's mm-hmm. leaving that graffiti area and those creepy eyes, like you don't really see what those things were. So I, I felt more like that. Like it was just kind of a scarier kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and I think that's part of what they were trying to do with that was yeah. just keep keep a, keep us in the know that that was all surreal. There was right. nothing right real. So he didn't actually go find a tree. Now we don't know where the stick came from, but he didn't. He didn't. There wasn't like a tree that he went because he breaks the branch in the mm-hmm. in the vision. Yeah, yeah. He could have yeah. been an old tree, like from ancient Tatooine that's been dead for a long time. And well, they burn something to make their fires. Lizard knows where it is, <laughs> which would yeah. explain the lizard knows where it is, right? And the right. lizard guided his mind to it, mm-hmm. and that's that's how they. Guide that's the only way to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all of that miming was just right. hilarious. Like watching was so great. <laughs> um, so he gets back with the stick, and he is embraced into the Tuscan family officially. He's given the clothing of the Tuscans. Uh, he's presented to the tribe. The tribe approves, and then they take him down. And the warrior is there to meet him. And there's also a forge master there. Very Mandalorian feel here. Yeah. Uh, and he's going to teach him how to make this gaffy stick for himself. And so he goes through the whole process of making the stick. And that was a so really cool. cool moment. I liked it. And his outfit, of course, is it, it's the one that we saw him mm-hmm. in when we first saw him as a non-dead character in the Sarlacc officially, right. you know. So that's that's cool. That that loop being kind of connected there. I was really wanting Father Andrew to be on this episode because um, I know that Father Roderick, when he was watching Boba get, um, you know, wrapped in all of these wrappings, that mm. it reminded him of ordination. You know, oh, when yeah. you have your family actually cloaks you in your garments as a priest or as a deacon. Cool. And so um, for the Tuscans to be doing that for Boba was even more of that element of family. Um, and as again, as I was learning about the Modi, I also learned that black is a very important color for their culture that um, may or may not have been part of, you know, the decision to make these black wrappings. Uh, but apparently black symbolizes the heavens. It symbolizes the realm of potential being and the long darkness from whence the world emerged. So it's almost mm. like another birth moment like a, a new life and all the potential mm. that is before him now yeah and, and then i like i like the end so th- this this kind of ties us into the end scene where he comes back he presents his his gaffy stick it is approved by the the tribe and he begins the dance and then all of the rest of the tribe joins in the dance and that was uh that was just a really powerful scene very strong mm-hmm. way to end this episode yeah it was awesome um and, you know, I, it didn't look like a haka, which, which is the, the Modi, um, like tribal, uh, battle cry dance. It's used in many situations. Um, but I know that that must've been very special still for, for Tamar Morrison to have been a part of this, um, ritual dance of the, the Tuscans. Um, and, uh. Yeah, I just I was very, very moved by that. And to see that in Star Wars um, <laughs> is it's all the cult, you know, to to be able to learn about all these different cultures of all these different uh, species and and just societies in Star Wars. Mm. It just makes it so much more rich and so um, yeah. much more lived in and real in a way, you know, relatable yeah. for us. 
as we're approaching the material so that we can, you know, see ourselves in our own cultures in all of these different scenes as well. And for it to be authentic too, that, that these people are participating and giving of themselves to this thing that we all love so much and that we all appreciate so much. And it's adding to the richness of it, you know, and that's, that's to me is a really awesome part of this, that it's a collaborative effort in a very true way. And the more we can add that collaboration and the better the product becomes. So any final thoughts before we wrap up uh, this episode? Well, I'm, I'm excited for next week. And I think the, uh, I, I, another thing I heard a lot of kind of head scratching, you know, with, with fans over was Rodriguez's comment about, you know, like everything you've seen is from the first 15 minutes of the first episode. And it's like, no, no, it's not. Cause <laughs> it's like, we still haven't seen like him meeting with the crime Lords and stuff, mm-hmm. but like they, they haven't really given, I mean, the only things off the top of my head that, like seeing uh, whatever, well, slave run or fire spit or what's what's it called? <laughs> I forget the name of the ship now that they've changed it to fire spray. Um, you, you see his ship flying by in one clip. You see him meeting with these different the dons or whatever you want to call them, um, and then the scene of that sort of mysterious you know female character on the speeder bike. To my knowledge, mm-hmm. those are the only three things come to mind that I haven't seen yet. Um, but we're only two episodes into seven. So it's exciting because there's clearly um, so much more. And, and I personally don't really anticipate five more episodes of, of or five episodes, you know, of just kind of like not a whole lot's happening. They're kind of like, I really mm-hmm. think it's going to open up quite a bit, you know, mm-hmm. so um, I'm not worried at all about any of that. You know, some of the stuff folks have been concerned about. I'm just I'm loving it. I'm excited for next week or this week. I should say. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Soon. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just looking forward to seeing where Boba's character has kind of grown and where he will continue to grow. Um, because he really is. He's he's been reborn and in this series. And it's fantastic to be able to just watch his trajectory and and to see how much more we have to learn about Tatooine, which we felt was the most <laughs> the most known place, you right. know, in all of Star Wars, <laughs> the most familiar, and yet we're Turns learning out, so no. much. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that's really that. It, it's a testament to uh, Favreau and and Filoni and how they can really just crack open so much of Star Wars and make it take what's already lived in. And then just expand on that, you know, like you, like you were saying with the with going back to an original set piece for the the bar scene, and then uh, that that's fantastic. That's that's something that these guys do so well, and it just pulls us into to. It's great because it gets that nostalgia piece, but then it also opens up this new thing that everybody else can share in. And um, yeah, and I, I have to in this because I, I wasn't in the first episode, but I wanted to give props to Jennifer Beals for her portrayal because uh, the character that she gives is just so matter of fact, so real, and she's got these gigantic uh, leku hanging off of her head while she's doing it, and <laughs> looks perfect in that. Role. Like she really pulls that off, yeah, so so well. That's true. So yeah. I, I, this is a great show. Like I think I'm, I am. I'm really looking forward to what 
to what comes next. I think that they do have way too much plot to be able to make a slow episode <laughs> in here at all. So I, I, I'm, I trust them. I know that they're going to do what's good. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. All right. So that's it from us. Um, listeners, what did you think of the, of the, uh, oh my gosh, I lost the, the episode title. <laughs> what did you think tribes of, of Tatooine. All right. So what did you, what did you think of the tribes of Tatooine? Uh, be sure to email us or comment on Facebook or Twitter and let us know what you thought. Uh, you can email any feedback to starwars at sqpn.com and find StarQuest on Facebook at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. We're on Twitter at sqpn. Uh, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Wars, including Joseph R., Michael S., Christina F., Cecilia C., and Paul V. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Wars and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Also, be sure to subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, whichever one of the uh, listening channels that you prefer. To find previous episodes, you can check us out at secrets of Star Wars, uh, sqpn.com slash Star Wars. So until next time, Angela Cialana, thank you for joining us for The Secrets of Star Wars. My pleasure. And Mike Creevy, thank you also. Yep. Can't wait till next time. Looking forward to it. Once again, I'm Thomas Senherho. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. <laughs>